Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 5, Episode 7, for Saturday the 25th of February 2023. And coming up this week, Book 2 in my latest trilogy is finished, and Book 1's editor changes have been done. My project to capture the writing of an entire book is now complete. I'm just waiting for the historians to discover me now. I've given my writing and editing schedule a big shake-up because I thought I was being a bit of a slacker, and I'll be starting work on book three next week now. Breaking news, my new Amazon ads are generating a profit, and I've got a simple and practical solution to the Google Analytics shake-up for you. Now, a reminder before we get underway that the final instalment of my writing diary can be found at the end of this episode, so when I do my regular sign-off, it'll just start there. There's something a little bit weird going on in the last insert, the very last insert, and it was the crucial one, of course, because it was when I just finished the book. I didn't really want to re-record it two hours after when I discovered, so I've left it. It's got some kind of electronic sound on it. I'm not quite sure what it is, uh, but it's not a deal breaker. You can hear the audio perfectly all right, but I'll just let you know what's going on with that. It didn't feel uh, sort of authentic to re-record it two hours afterwards, and it didn't feel immediate either, so I've just left it as it is. And then, of course, also, after this episode, I've dropped the entire writer diary into the podcast feed. Now, I'm not for one moment expecting you to listen to this. It's four hours, for goodness sake, four hours of it. Uh, but that's all those bits, those diaries that I've done over the last five or six weeks. I've put them all together into one constant feed because I wanted to have a permanent record now of me writing one whole book. Now, I've said in the introduction to that feed, I've, I've recorded an introduction and an outro for it, especially. But what I've said is, number one, you don't need to listen to it all at once. Number two, you can slow it down. Number two, you can speed it up if you want to. And if you want to, uh, what I've suggested is that if you wanted to write along, so for instance, if you're writing a 75,000 word book and you just literally wanted to listen to it in segments um, to sort of, you know, follow me along my way as I was writing a book, you could use it like that. But I'm really expecting you to skip it, to be honest with you, and it's just going to sit there as a as a permanent record uh, of me writing a book. But I just wanted to put it all together as one as one episode, just in case it is of use to anybody. But I'm really not expecting to get a lot of listens on that. It's, a, it's one heck of a listen. What I suggest you use it for is if you have insomnia, start listening to it. I bet you won't get 10 minutes into it and you'll be asleep. So maybe use it for an insomnia device. Okay, so that's uh, the latest episode. As I say, the post-Spain episode is coming up right at the end of this podcast if you just want to get it in, in bite-sized chunks. So let's move on to my writing update for this week then. Uh, I've finished the book now. Book two is finished in first draft form. My weekly word count this week was 9,590. On Monday, I wrote 4,862 words. On Tuesday, 4,728 uh, 4, words. I have, I have problems with numbers sometimes, 4,728 words. And then the word total for that manuscript, according to Word, and you always get a little bit of difference between Word and Scrivener, but the, the total word count of that book is 74,885 words. 74,885 words. So my target and what I booked in with Claire, Claire Cronshaw as the editor is 75,000 words. Now, clearly, as I now edit this book, I'm going to add a bit here, take a bit there, add a bit here, take a bit there. And I already know that I want to put a very short insert. I want to add a short insert to the author notes to describe or explain what a place is 
it's a location in the book it's a place in Hull that's called the land of green ginger it sounds like it's out of a fairy story but it, it is for real and I just wanted to put maybe a hundred words in about the land of green ginger in my author notes just to explain what it is and the area of the city that it is in Hull so that would actually take me up to 75,000 words now as I've said before with my word count and with what I booked with an editor, I've booked in 75,000 words. And I, you know, I think probably you could go, I don't know, plus 500, minus 500 words. You might, if you were pushing your luck, go plus 1,000, minus 1,000. And clearly you'd have to pay for those words if it was additional words. But generally, I think the editor expects something that that's going to take the amount of work, the, the amount of work that a 75,000 word manuscript would take. So you as an author have got to make sure that's what you deliver. At 74,885 words, that's fine. Once I've edited it, it's going to be, you know, thereabouts at 75,000 words. So I'm quite happy with that. But if you listen back to the author diaries, you'll hear that I'm constantly monitoring my writing to make sure we don't get word creep in there. This is what I don't want to do is you end up writing 150,000 words because that's a real hack job of an edit. So it makes much more sense to me, the way I work, to just be focused on the words all the time, to be focused on the word count, and then not have to do this, what's frankly, waste of time work, you know, re removing something that should be 75,000 words, you know, cutting it down from 150,000 words. So I'm, I'm always, you know, sharp on the word count so that we don't get that word creep. And so I'm editing words that I'm actually going to use rather than superfluous words that I've written just because I can't control my writing. That's just the way that I choose to do it. But you'll see that we've pretty well landed right on the word count there as a result of that. So what comes next then? Um, what I did with, I should tell you that I've got book one back from Claire now. Uh, you know that and you know that it was just sitting there. I didn't do anything with it. So what I did is I finished um, at the weekend. I went through Claire's editor changes so I this is book one I went through Claire's editor changes and there were 60 of them about 60 59 60 of them for me to do and this was the first time I kind of opened it up and look at looked at it in any detail I always take a deep breath I'd actually I'd actually uh, budgeted quite a few days to do that work and it, it, it only took me a day to do it a day or two days maybe to work through them um, but what Claire had delivered to me was exactly what I wanted uh, which was a uh, an edited text with just the things I need to know on them and she'd put some brilliant notes at the side and, uh, and what I really like is she'd put um, solutions as well rather than raising problems she'd, she'd put solutions as well which I just had to accept I, I love it when an editor does that um, you know it's very it's very proactive way of editing I think and I really like it so um, I, I went through book one at the weekend I've done all of Claire's changes now went through all of those with a fine tooth comb then I took the corrected manuscript of book one, I fed it into vellum and I created a, a, a vellum file because when I start to do the editing now, this is an edited book. So it's, you know, it's grammar, uh, punctuation, plot points. These should all be sorted now. So now when I'm doing my editing, I want to read it as a reader does. So I turn that into a vellum file. I sent it to my, well, I'm actually reading it on my phone. Uh, I just put the uh, the typeface slightly larger on my phone. It's a bit small by default. So I put a larger typeface on my phone and just do it on my phone. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm reading it at the rate of five chapters per day and doing the corrections in that vellum file. So later on today, when I've got this podcast ready, I will read the next five chapters of book one, 
when I'm reading it on my phone, if I see anything that I'm still not happy with, I will highlight it. And then when I've read the five chapters, I'll come to my desk and I will go into that vellum file and I will make the changes. Now, the changes I'm making at the moment are simply uh, personal changes for my taste. And I could do these changes because Claire's got the, you know, I'm not changing punctuation or sentence structure or anything like that. I tell you what, I pretty well mainly change at this stage. I, I really don't like it as a reader if I have a repeated word. And every now and then I'll see a, a word that's repeated, not in a sentence, but over maybe uh, the course of three sentences. Um, and if I get that kind of echo of a word, I think, right, let's come up with a better word then. That's pretty well what I'm doing. And every now and then, because when I wrote book one, I hadn't written book two or book three. And, you know, I'm not a literary genius. I can't hold three books in my head. Sometimes I just have to make tiny little tweaks to the plot as I go along. And they are only tiny little tweaks to the plot. And that that's what I'm doing as I go along. So, for instance, I... Um, when I started this book, I made the age of the, 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 the nun who dies in the book. I think she was 80-something, 80 83, I think, in my head. Um, but when I was, I've started to plan now book three, which I'll tell you about in a moment. And when I was working out the years and how old she needs to be and the dates and, you know, how this is all going to work, what I realised was is that the nun needs to be younger. She needs to be uh, 73 about 73 in this book for all the dates to work well so I've changed the age of the nun well that's fine all I literally all I had to do was a control find and change 80s for 70s that's that's all I had to do there was no uh, no no big uh, editorial uh, or editing difference there at all but that's an example of the sort of thing that I'm changing and, and the reason for that is that you know I cannot hold or plan whole trilogy in my head at once um you know there's an element of being able to plot it to know where it's going but certain details have to change as you go along so uh, another example of that is i've written uh, book two now uh, in draft one format and one of the girls who'd had a baby had had a daughter and i realized to make the tension work and to create sufficient mystery in book three i need that to be a son it's a very easy change to make, but 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 I made it and it solves my my problem. So these are these are not massive structural changes. They're very uh, easy to make, very easy to make. So I, I literally just went back into book two, which is only in first draft form. I haven't edited it yet, and then did a control find on the word uh, daughter, and then just changed it to son, and, and and also did the name of the character. Just made sure I got all those instances. I'm going to edit it anyway, so it'll be fixed. So there's just tiny little details, um, just moving the chess pieces around the board that I, I need to change. But I get the big thing right. It's just sometimes minutiae that I have to tweak. So that's what I'm doing on book one. I'm doing that at the rate of five chapters per day. You know I don't like editing. I find it hard. Um, so it's not the, my strength work. So if I keep myself fresh at just doing five chapters a day, it means I'm I'm on the case, I'm on the ball. It's about an hour of work a day for me to do that, um, you know, carefully and thoroughly. So I'm doing that at the moment. Book two in first draft form is just sitting for the time being. I'm not going to do anything with that for the time being because I'm planning book three at the moment. 
So I've got this, exactly the same structure that I have. Um, I shared it with you. Uh, those of you who saw it, the, the planning document that I use, I'm working through the planning document for book three because I was looking at my diary and I wasn't going to start writing book three. I think I probably told you this last week. I wasn't going to write book three. I didn't have to start writing it for quite some time to hit all my deadlines. And I, and I just thought, um, you know, having had that interruption of Spain and had to get the, the speed of my writing up again, I just decided that I don't want to stop writing. I don't want to have a month off when I'm just editing. I want to write. So what I've decided to do is to prioritise the planning of book three so I can start writing it. And now I'm going to start writing it next week, would you believe? So I'm going to do two chapters on Monday and two chapters on Wednesday. I've got something on on Tuesday that's going to interrupt so I can't remember why I'm not writing on Tuesday but I'm going to yeah so two chapters on Monday two chapters on on Wednesday next week and the chapters are going to be the first chapter of the book and this is going to have a an epilogue this book so it'll be the first chapter of the epilogue of book three and then on um, Wednesday I'm going to write the first chapter in the uh it, well, it'll be a 1960s time zone now. It was 1970s in the previous book. It's, it's going to go to the, the nun who died now. You're going to hear her story. And that's set in 1968. This is why I was saying to you about the ages. I was just working out the dates and how it all needed to work and fit together uh, in, in a bit more detail. So it's now going to be the nun's story. And that is going to be set, going to be set in 1968 primarily. So I'm going to write that first chapter. And then I'm also then going to write the last chapter. <laughs> I know this gets complicated, doesn't it? Um, of the of the action, the last action chapter. So the epilogue obviously is different. The, the epilogue is going to be the the wind up. There's been a big event. I'm, I'm just trying to work out whether to kill a major character or not. I'm trying to work out <laughs> what what her level of injury is going to be, <laughs> whether I'm going to kill her off or not. Part of me thinks I've been watching. Um, oh, what's it called? Oh, I forgot what it's called now. In the Line of Duty, that's right, on telly. And uh, I did the Jed Mercurio BBC Maestro course. And one of the things Jed Mercurio was talking about was these big, huge shock scenes that he puts in his dramas. And um, I've got a huge shock scene at the end of book two. And uh, I'm kind of thinking, should, should, am I going to kill this character? Of having, having got you to like this character over the first two books, am I just going to kill her off dead like that? And, and I'm very tempted to, to do a Jed Mercurio. I might get a kickback off it. I, you know, I know people don't like the ending of, um, what's it called? Two weeks, two months, two years after, <laughs> two years after my standalone novel, uh, because I, I, it has a very uncomfortable ending. And I know people, I know readers don't like it. So I'm trying to make up my mind whether I'm going to put that shocker in or not but um that so the prologue would sorry the epilogue would deal with that and the last chapter deals with the the action sequence in in the current day but because i know what those are in my head already i know those scenes already what they're going to involve then i can write those early i'm using the craig martell approach again by writing the beginning and the end first which i've found that i really really like doing actually it's very good so the sequence of that is then until next Sunday, so a week tomorrow, as you're listening to this, if you're, if you're listening to this as I release it, I'm going to be working through book one edits, refining that book and making sure I'm happy about it. And then I will have a vellum file, which will be the file I send to beta readers, but those beta readers aren't going to get it for a month or two yet. 
So I'm way ahead with this book. I've got a lot of time with this book. You know, frankly, it could go to beta readers and I could release it next month probably, but I'm not going to do that. I want to stage manage the release of it. I will be planning book three and then I will start writing. I'm just going to have a kind of lightweight writing week this week because those first and last chapters are always slightly more uh, taxing. So I'm only going to do four chapters this week. And then from the week on Monday, I will start writing nine chapters again a week and rattle through that book and have that book finished um, fairly soon. So I'll start writing book three on the 27th of February. And then from the 6th of March, I'll be back to that routine of three chapters, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of each week. And we'll rattle through the first draft of book three. And book one will be ready to go to beta readers or, or art readers. I keep calling them beta readers, but I think I mean art readers, really. Um, that's what I really mean. Um, I think that's what most people would call them. But unless I get held up for any reason, I hope to have the first draft of book three completed by the 12th of April, which interestingly is the date that book two is due or just, I think it's the 15th of April off the top of my head. It's around that time. That's the time that book two is due to Claire Conshaw for its proper edit. So you can see that for the first time ever, I've uh, I've actually budgeted a load of time into all of this. But uh, re regardless of that, I'm still going to have a frazzled brain, you know, because I'm I'm reading book one. I'm, I've just written book two. I'm going to be writing book three as I first draft edit book two. It, it just goes uh, crazy. But I, I don't, somehow I managed to keep my head around it. And they will all get a final read, you know, to make sure that the whole plot line is correct. And of course, the art readers are the last test of that. That's what I'm asking them for. Any inconsistencies? Have I made any boo-boos here that I need to fix? They're my last uh, opportunity to check for stuff that I might have missed. Uh, really, you're just looking at me and my plot by that stage. So it's all happening, which is which is great. When I start doing the edits on book two, uh, I will just do them in bite-sized chunks. So what I'm planning on doing is when I start writing book three, that will be on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I will do book two in bite-sized chunks because I don't really enjoy the editing. It'll just be a couple of chapters a day. And I will do that on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays as and when my agenda allows but it'll probably be maybe three or five chapters a day. When book two has been first draft edited by me I will give it to my wife to read and make and she will make her corrections and then it will be ready to send to Claire Crodger. I've got a lot of time with that book so I will have read it again after my wife reads it and, uh, and I will deliver it. I will also uh, look at the um, the Bible, the book Bible that Claire gave me and take into the account the changes that we've agreed on uh, to harmonize the style in that book. And so hopefully by the time, hopefully, fingers crossed, by the time we get to book through, Claire will get a much kind of cleaner book. Uh, you know, we'll be working much more uh, closely together um, than we were on book one. That's certainly what I'm hoping for anyway. Now I plan to release the books to ARC readers on the 1st of June, the 1st of July, and the 1st of September. And the first book, book one, will be released on the 1st of October. So release date to 1st of October, 1st of November. Uh, it's not, they're not actually the first, but um, I think for instance, it's the first Monday of each month. So I think it's like the 2nd of October, but it's the first Monday of each month. So it'll be October, November, December, and then in January, I will release the box set. That's January, 2024. 
Now, as I say, these books could release much sooner. I could have them done much sooner, but I just want to stage manage the release of them. That's really why I'm doing that. So, um, Vellum is very handy because, uh, because uh, you know, I managed to, uh, it, I don't like really editing on the screen. I'd rather edit on a on a phone. So I find it much easier at this stage to, to, to put that, you know, edited draft into Vellum, into what I call a, a, a Vellum dummy file. It's not the file that will get released. It's just um, almost the text with a mock cover on it, just so that it works on my phone. And I just highlight the changes and then I come back to my desk and uh, make the changes step by step in the vellum file. So the vellum, that, that dummy vellum file by the time I finish will be as right as I can make it prior to sending it to ARC readers. So it was uh, very interesting. I sent uh, Claire Cronshaw some, some feedback because she'd asked me for some feedback because whenever you work with a new editor, you've got to find your uh, level. Uh, they have to get used to you. You have to get used to the way they work. Uh, but I was delighted with the edits. It's always a bit nerve wracking when you go with a new editor. And uh, and I'd said to Claire, um, you, you know, that I don't want to see the minutiae changes. My, my view is, and, and you know, you only employ somebody if you if you trust them in the first place. Um, and, and my view is is that when I read my book that's been edited, it should still feel like it's my book. So I shouldn't, uh, you know, read it thinking, oh, well, I didn't. That's not a word I would use, or that's not a phrase I would use. That's really my kind of my test with that. So you know, an editor should put the grammar right. Uh, they should put the punctuation right. They should flag up things that uh, that they need to question. But when I read that book after it's been connected, it should still feel like my book. That's really my my test of that. Now, I don't need to look at every change because my grammar and my spelling, you know, aren't brilliant. So I'm very happy to defer to somebody who specialises in this because I don't, and I'm not very good at it. So I'm quite happy to defer those judgments. So the manuscript I got back from Claire had all those changes made and accepted. I don't need to see them all. I don't need to pour over them all. It's I don't think that's a good use of my time. And what I'd got was a list of 60 things that needed my attention as the author. You know, whether Claire changes a full stop to a comma or a colon to a semicolon, that doesn't need my attention as an editor because she's the expert. She can make those decisions. That's what she's trained to do. I don't need to pour over all those changes. To me, that's just a waste of my time. It's not a good use of my time. Um, you know, you trust your team is, is, is always my, my thought. You know, you trust your team until your team show you can't trust them. But uh, they, they seldom, you know, in my experience of in management, you know, usually when you trust your team, that's that's fine. They just get on with it. And that's great. So, as I say, my test then is when I read the book, it should still feel like mine. Absolutely, it does. And the changes that Claire made were brilliant. Uh, just, you know, just really good pertinent changes. And I'll, I'll tell you the feedback that I sent to Claire because it's all good. Um, I, I, one of the things I was particularly grateful for is that Claire is a former secondary school teacher and she put me right over some of my language use that I'd used by youth. So she suggested, made suggestions and said, well, I think they're more likely to use, you know, this phrase rather than that phrase. Now that's where you're getting the benefit of somebody's expertise away from editing, which is, which is fantastic. It's years since I've taught and I never taught secondary school pupils. So, you know, that again, that's an improvement of the language that I'm using, using Claire's uh, professional experience as a teacher, which was fantastic. That's like a lovely byproduct of using Claire uh, to edit my book. She spotted <laughs> something that I always do. Uh, this is always driven by uh, editor's spare, I think, but she'd spotted, um, and this is after I read the blasted thing, for goodness sake, you know, and my wife's read the thing. She'd spotted that I'd used the word, the name Charlie. I'd used Charlie, Charlie and Charles 
for three different people. Even I've read the blasted thing and I still didn't spot it. Uh, and I'd also got a DCI McKenzie's name mixed up. So uh, this is one of a this is a you know a side character who, if I continue to write this series, we'll we'll find out what happened to him um, later on. It's a, a little bit of tension and mystery within the the policing team that I've got based around this DCI McKenzie. So I'm terrible at names, and you know, however hard I try to get this right, I still mess it up. So, you know, she spotted that fantastic. Claire also made some timeline adjustments. Now, what I tend to do with my books, because I, um, you know, I'm no uh, genius. There's only so much I can hold in my head at once. I tend to make the final, my final timeline adjustments when I do the last edit, and just say, I, I always, I tend to, I, don't, I should do this proactively at the front but I tend to do it retrospectively and it was one of the things that um, Judy Corner actually said to me about saying you know that's quite a busy day but then but then you see the days that the that I give the police to have are based on my days as a journalist I know what I used to do as a journalist so um, you know when you got dispatched you used to come in as a journalist in the morning and sometimes I'd go out in the car and I'd, I'd record with several people around the county and then come back and uh, create a radio report for it and and so I, I I time the police days based on the sort of things that I did as a journalist you know I know how many miles I used to do as a journalist um, uh, <laughs> one of the things I know Julie used to say to me is they spend a lot of time eating but I could <laughs> tell you if you're a journalist certainly a radio journalist I don't know how it works with newspaper journalists but you know I know that when we were out on the road somebody would always go out and bring bacon butties and cups of tea if you were at a crime scene, you know, the, the, the policeman would always, you know, have something going for brews or the fire service would have something so that people could get a brew. It's just, it's kind of that world. And, um, and, and in terms of their days, because um, I said to Julie, well, you, you can't have had very busy days at work because, you know, the kind of days that I give my policeman and my characters are just based around the kind of days that I would have. I always say to myself, if that was my job as a journalist moving from these places, is that a normal would have that been a normal day for me and it, it, it would have been but I do need to just I do just check the timelines and for instance I've just um, based on the feedback that Claire gave me I just thought right I, I think that the day that this book starts actually is going to be a different day so again this is a tiny little adjustment I've made it's just one word in the book um, but I think that I'm going to start it on a Sunday night I think rather than I think it starts on a Friday night originally tiny little tweaks like that because Sometimes I just have to come back and, and say, right, this happens on day one, this happens on day two, this happens on day three, how many days? And then therefore, what day of the week does the book finish? Is it a weekday or a weekend day? Because that's quite important about, you know, who's available, what's open, how many people are around. So, but sometimes I kind of have to do that as a final check at the end. But what Claire did is she made some great timeline adjustments to me. She spotted, she spotted a great one where... Uh, a body had been identified at effectively warp speed um, you know if you plot the person's journeys um, it was a he'd gone to pick somebody up and identify a body and he'd just done it at the speed of light so uh, you know that was a great timeline adjustment so you know again she'd spotted spotted things like this which were great um, I also said that I, I liked the way that she gave me the solution and then you know uh, flagged up the problem rather than just flagging up a problem and leaving me to figure out the solution. This is something that Julie used to do. And I used to say, I love this. When when you write a book, sometimes you're, you're, you're kind of squeezed out. You're like a squeegee, you know, that's been squeezed out of water. 
you know sometimes you're out of words to use and sometimes you're out, you're kind of out of ideas or you just need a bit of fresh input and I love it when an editor says um you know maybe this might work better or something like that 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 kind of very proactive um suggestion when you when you've when you've got something wrong or it's you know it needs improvement and Claire has done that and so you know I said she'd made 60 changes but she'd actually give me 60 solutions it was it was brilliant so all I had to do is is work through them and think you know yeah that works better yeah you know agree with that accept that it was just it was brilliant so that really worked very very well for me and then the other thing that you know that I said to Claire is I, I got an overall sense of her really actively reading the book and by actively reading I mean, not just kind of going through the words, not just looking for commas and, and full stops and things like that, but really actually um, absorbing this book as a, as a reader might, you know, being absorbed in it um, and, and not just looking at it as a series of words that need to be edited, but but uh, uh, treating it as a, as a reader might as well. And again, you know, I'm quite poor at that as an author until I get to the final stages. So really only on the final pre-release read, when, when everything's you know being done and I'm happy with it and all the language used that last read before I release it when it's been through the beta readers the my very last check that's really the only point at which I will read it as a reader and then often I read it and think well it's all right it's quite good but that <laughs> which is hopefully what you think at the end but I'm 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 approaching it as a mechanic uh, until then so I really felt that uh, Claire would be really actively engaged in it you know not 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 reading it just as a mechanic but reading it as a reader I really valued that at that early stage in the process so uh, I sent um, Claire you know an, an effusive note saying this is great I'm very happy with it you know and, and obviously we'll get better at working together uh, as we go along because she's now given me a bible I will apply that bible to the next one hopefully that'll be a load of things she doesn't need to ask me about uh, you know or, or wonder about hopefully they'll all be right um, and then as we get better at working with each other, you know, the, the process will become refined. But um, as you know, it's always very nerve wracking with a new editor. Um, you know, I, I, I personally, uh, I don't have a massive amount of resilience. I need to feel good at the end of an edit. You know, I need to feel like I haven't just been handed back something, you know, that an editor's sticking their nose up at. I, I need to feel like they're kind of invested in it. And, and I, you know, that, that's how I feel. I feel like we're both working on the script to the benefit of getting the script ready to release it feels like a, a positive supportive experience and that's what I'm after when I work with an editor we're all you know different of course you may have more resilience to this stuff but I'm I'm quite sensitive to this stuff I need to be treated quite carefully because I could lose my confidence uh, very quickly so you know I'm feeling confident in the book I feel like you know Claire read it he enjoyed it he's waiting for the next one and that, that's good so just to let you know I, I, I know she doesn't have many slots left but if you are looking for a new editor uh, if you want to check out Claire you'll find her at cherryedits.com cherryedits.com is where you will find her you can take a look at her service and uh, maybe take it out for a sample spin okay so lots going on with the books then let's move on to marketing I don't have an awful lot to tell you about Facebook ads this week other than just to give you some numbers I'm not really happy with mads at the moment I'm, I'm kind of I'm making lots of sales but I'm not making enough profit at the moment and uh, that's bothering me um, I'm going to tell you about Amazon too shortly but um, you know I seem to be making a lot of ad spend but I'm not happy with the level of profit I'm making at the moment but let me just give you some numbers Facebook ads uh, the Morecambe Bay 9 book this month so this is a new advert 
that I created on Facebook rather than the 12 pack, which is a, an ongoing advert. Just on the Morecambe Bay nine pack alone, this month I've made uh, 2,181 sales and I've had 51,369 page reads on it. And interestingly, when I was just trying to tot up what those page reads were worth, I came across a site called publishwide.com, which has a KENP royalty calculator. So basically, in any month and in any territory, you can put in your, your page reads and it will tell you what those page reads are worth this month, which is great. And, and I thought, oh, do I know about this site? So I, because I'd done it on a Google search to try and find out what the KENP amount was for this month. And this site came up and I thought, well, this is very interesting. And I checked it out and I've already connected to them on social media. So I'm, it must be one of those things I've known about and then probably forgotten about. But what's interesting about PublishWide is it, see, it, it seems to be one of these sites, and I only had a cursory look at it because I did this just before I did the podcast, a cursory look it seems to be one of these sites that brings in all of your sales but it also seems to bring in the amount of your ad spend and then tell you what your profit is that's at a cursory glance now i have been using i've just brought my screen up to try and remember what on earth it's called because i can never remember the name of these softwares as you know it's not bk link it's the other one. Oh, come on paul where is it I've been using another one of these things that I, oh, the author helper, that's it, the author helper. If you remember, I'd been looking at the author helper and I'd set it up with all my books. So it is all beautifully set up. But one of the things I'd said to you is that you have to, you, I, want, I want author helper to work with APIs. I don't want to have to be bringing in spreadsheets and things like that because that's margin of error. I just want it to pull in sales and ad costs and then, and then just give me a screen telling me how many sales I've made, what my profit is using APIs. That's what I'm looking for. And then I will pay for that product. Well, at a cursory glance, uh, PublishWide appears to do that. Now it's got a 14 day free trial. So I'm gonna have a look at it. Uh, after I finish this and I'm, I'm doing my bits and bobs for the day, general bits and bobs, I shall just take a 14 day trial of PublishWide, set it up with all my accounts and see if that's actually what it does. And I'll report back to you. But that's interesting, publishwide.com, and I will put the KENP royalty calculator, which is a free resource incidentally, I'll put that on the links page for this week. Now I said in the teasers at the beginning of this show that my, my active Amazon ads, the new Amazon ads that I've done, are in profit at the moment. So these are the active ads, so I've weeded out the ones that were in loss, and I've, this is just the numbers on the ads that are working. So my spend on those ads is £1,089.99. My sales are £947.83. My KENP read is 51,562. My uh, royalties, now hang on, what have I done? Have I got this wrong? No, that's right, that was my KENP royalties. And my cost per click is 47 pence a click. And these are on full price books, of course. So that, that's fine, it wouldn't be on Facebook with my box sets, but that's fine for full price books. So my profit is 161 pounds and 89 pence. Now I gave you, I have given you in the past, my total numbers for Amazon, and they were at a loss. This is simply, these are the enabled adverts on Amazon that I've set up through Matthew J. Holmes's system. I've got, I've just, 
turned off the ones that were quite clearly making a loss. These are the profit making ones that I've left running. And th these are the ones I've left running until I, I either use a, an Amazon ads manager to, to pick up the account, or I finally get some time to get my head down and work through the second part of Matthew's training and do this sort of analysis myself. So at the moment, I'm running a £161.89 profit, which I have never, ever done on Amazon before. So that's fantastic, isn't it? I'm quite pleased at that. And obviously what we need to do is more of what's working and less of what isn't. I just need to get round to doing that properly. So of course, what you have to remember is, is we, can, we, we need to factor in read through to this. So, you know, I'm plugging the first series in my trilogies. So if you go, if you read uh, Left for Dead, for instance, potentially you might buy another uh, eight books at full price, or you might buy them uh, as full price box sets. So we can add to that read through, which will gather impetus, of course. And then plus when I checked on Wednesday, when I was making a lot of the notes for this week's show, it's really, it's instantly improved my also bought authors in a way I've never been able to achieve before. So currently in my thrillers, my also bought authors have LJ Ross in them. I mean, LJ Ross, for goodness sake, Peter James, Rachel McLean, and some other ad targets of mine, but not Joy Ellis. Joy Ellis has slipped off for now. Now, if I have in my also boughts, LJ Ross, Rachel McLean, and Joy Ellis, I am going to be a very happy man because they are my dream also boughts. They're, they're brilliant. I don't know whether I'm, oh, I'd like Mark Edwards in there too. I'm not sure whether I'm going to be able to get Mark Edwards in there. I'm going to have to be a bit more strategic about that because Mark is um, not traditionally published. So I, I might have to look at that one. But so I'm very, I'm very pleased with those results. Now, you know, I'm in this for the long term trying to tackle Amazon ads. So I know it's just, it's just a small, you know, it's just a little springtime bud on a shrub. That's all it is at the moment. But I'm hoping to nurture that to a full bloom. That's what we're looking for with Amazon ads. But I'm happy with that. Those are more uh, controlled results than I've ever had on Amazon before. I'm really pleased with those also boughts. You know, that that's that's my ads controlling who's buying my books. I that's what I that's what I want. So, you know, it's only a, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny move in the right direction, but it's working and I'm happy with it. That's great. And then um, I've got some book bub news for you also this week. I in the course of this week, I've had a rejection on my 12 pack of books. From BookBub. I've had a rejection on Morecambe Bay three pack and I've just submitted the Don't Tell Meg three pack at 99 pence or cents. So, um, you know, I, I say, I keep saying I'm in the wilderness with BookBub. I haven't had a thriller accepted for a long time. I don't know why. I don't know why they won't accept the 12 pack or the nine pack. I mean, I would have thought from their point of view, I'm giving it away either a 12 pack of books or a nine pack of books, all of which have, well, certainly 12 packs got two and a half thousand reviews on it, four point whatever it is. I mean, you would, I don't know why they won't take that because presumably they get affiliate income from that. It, it, it will just shift like anything on BookBub and that presumably they'll get loads of affiliate uh, income from that. I, I simply don't understand why they won't promote that book. I, I wish they would give you even limited feedback it, it, just something simple like, um, you know, for instance, it might be that I'm submitting it with a 3D cover. Now, when I submitted it wide, I put a, is it a 2D cover? I put a flat cover on it because I know that Apple, for instance, don't accept 3D covers, but it's got a 3D cover on the moment because, um, 
what do you call it? Amazon, Amazon will ex will accept that. They're okay with three-day co covers. So if it's something as stupid and as simple as that, I'd like to I'd like to know. I wish I could just get a simple feedback form on that because it's it's very frustrating. I simply don't understand it because I would have thought that would just fly off the shelves, something like that. But they won't, or they haven't to date promoted it, and, and they keep knocking back the Walker Bay nine pack as well, which I'm um, offering to list at ninety nine pence and cents. So. I don't know, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep throwing at them until they tell me to go away and uh, just go kind of for the, you know, war of attrition kind of thing. I'm just going to keep going at it until they, well, I'm just going to keep going at it. And hopefully one day I would love to get one of those big box sets on on a BookBub promo. Let's move on to other writing related news then. And somebody who I mentioned to you a lot, but you, you don't tend to hear on the sort of podcasts and circle uh, sort of circles that, that I mix with. And I don't know why, uh, because I think he's, his stuff's great. I've told you this before. But Nicholas Eric has done a couple of presentations, which I'm going to share for you on the show notes this week. He did a um, presentation. It was less than an hour on Amazon attribution links. It's free. Uh, I, I can't remember whether, whether you have to register or not. Well, you don't have to register, do you? Um, the Amazon attribution links is, is literally just him showing you how they work, why they work, why you should use them, how he uses them. So if you haven't got to grips with Amazon attribution links yet, and you'd like somebody to just talk you through it in three quarters of an hour, and you haven't got Matthew J. Holmes's training, then this is a, a great free way of doing that. Now, um, I'm using attribution links across the board now. So, and I and I would have to say to you, if you're advertising books on Amazon, you really ought to be using Amazon attribution links. It's kind of crazy not to really. So it is something that you need to get into to detail with. But there's some really good detail in there. But it won't it won't overwhelm you that particular presentation. Uh, Nicholas has got a, a quite a dry style of presentation. So um, just uh, what I would say to you, because my, my wife's terrible at this. Sometimes she'll hear somebody's voice and she'll say, oh, I'm not listening to that. She's, she's very much a, a visual. She takes her work in uh, reading. Uh, whereas I can listen to audio. I love audio and uh, can, can absorb audio. You know, people, people learn in different ways. And I know that if my wife heard the, that voice she'd say oh I couldn't listen to that so what I would say is you know it's about the the, the content um you know, listen to the content uh because it's quite a dry it's quite a dry delivery but the content is is brilliant um and so he's also done another one which he sent me now this is this is less relevant but I will mention over uh, I will mention it to you because it's about um kind of how then uh Nicholas puts the, the attribution link data into spreadsheets. So this is this is getting to the kind of point where I start to glaze over now. You know, we, we all have different things that make us like our eyes glaze over. And mine tends to be data stats and things like that. I, I always like to know the headlines. I don't like to know the detail. Um, you know, it's much like I am with editing, right? Tell me the headlines, don't give me the detail. That, that I, That's how I am, I'm afraid. Um, so it's a, it's very technical but it's about using Google Sheets to extract the data from BookBub ads from your attribution links. And um, Nicholas actually mentioned uh, like a, something like a nine, $15 uh, course that he took to just um, show him how to use uh, Google Sheets. You know, he said it was very, very useful, even though he knows his way around, uh, you know, Sheets and Excel spreadsheets. So I'll, I'll put that one on, but the one I really want you to look at specifically is how to use the Amazon attribution links. And they're both uh, free, by the way, just to let you know, they're both free. But Nicholas does a lot with uh, BookBub ads. And I mean, I've, as you know, BookBub ads is, is another 
territory that I would like to conquer, but I, I struggle with it. And I'm more likely to come back to it. I've done some small tests with it with attribution links. But what, what I'm finding with my ads, and uh, th th I, you know, I'm not making a lot of profit. So I am making profit at the moment. I beg your pardon, I am making profit, but it's all getting ploughed into ads. So when I just run Facebook ads and I'm not running book ads and I'm not running Amazon ads, I keep a lot more of the money. But at the moment, because I'm running, I'm trying to get Facebook ads going, new Facebook ads going and trying to get new Amazon ads going. The money I'm making, I'm turning to spend on, on ads. So the profit uh, that's going into my pocket at the moment is not anywhere near as high as I would like it to be. But I, I'm fortunate in that I don't, I don't really need it at the moment. You know, I can, I can, as I said to you, I think when I started these podcasts, I got a good flow of money in, in the business, so I, I, I can, I can let that happen. But I don't want it to happen to forever. <laughs> I want to be putting money in my pocket. Um, but I, you know, I'm so determined to just conquer these blasted ads that I'm just literally happy you know, to burn money if I need to on ads to try and get these things working. I want to just push through that that pain barrier. But it's not, in terms of money that's going in my pocket at the moment, it's not brilliant at the moment. Um, it's all going, it's all getting burned up on ads at the moment. So the earnings are the same. They're just getting all spent and ploughed back into ads. But um, if, if I'm going to learn, if I'm going to improve, that's just how it has to be. So um, I'll put those two links on for Licoseric on the uh, show notes. And I would recommend, just like I've recommended to you that you should get on Matthew J. Holmes's mailing list, even if you don't buy anything, you don't have to buy anything, just just sit on the mailing list, you'll get loads of information there. Please do the same with Nicholas Eric, because the, his content, I think, is great. Now, Nicholas's, I, it, Nicholas's just tends to veer into the eyes glazing over for me. It's very clever and technical. It's all brilliant stuff, but it's in my discomfort zone in terms of the, the how complicated it is. But he's very, very good at it and um, you know he's he's the guy to listen to that really kind of complex clever stuff he's also managing ad accounts at scale and the problem with somebody like me is you know I'm not spending anywhere near enough to say to teach Facebook ads and say this is how you do it because my budgets just aren't big enough I'm just not a big enough business but Nicholas is, is doing I think he's spending six figures on ads um, because he does his own and for other people and when you're spending that amount of money you can start to extrapolate uh, learning points from that and, and obviously teach it and share it and so that's why I'm interested in in Nicholas I get a, I've got a lot of value from Nicholas's output over the past and I have and I have uh, bought things from him in, in the past but you don't need to just join his list you'll get a load of value from Nicholas I was sitting in on one of the Society of Authors webinars this week now I had said I'd mentioned the Canva webinar, which is the one I was sitting in on this week, and I'd also mentioned a, a crime-related one, which is next week, if I remember correctly. And I think I'd said that when I registered for it, it didn't stop me registering or require me to be a member. And there was just that, like, you know, two percent at the back of my mind thinking, are they going to let me into this, or am I going to have to pay for this, or they're going to tell me I'm not a member? Just to let you know, if you are registered for that crime one next week, it was fine. They sent me a, a register, a register link. You know, a, was it a Zoom link? And it all worked perfectly. There's no passwords, codes, or anything like that. You just sign in, and it was there. And it was a really good webinar. Now, I, I was a member of the Society of Authors for a year, a couple of years back, and I actually did a talk for them in Manchester because I. I, you know, I, I knew a man who, I knew a couple of people who were in the, were they on the Northern panel? And they, they got, I can't remember how I got it, but I got a talking gig anyway at the Society of Authors in, in Manchester. And uh, 
I was just doing a little bit of digging around thinking I wonder if I should be a member of the Society of Authors again and I actually found that they've got a lot of these videos they have on a showcase Vimeo page so um, if you're interested in having a look at that not all of them are of interest to us a lot of them are very uh, sort of traditional published and traditional interests but like the Canva one uh, was great I, I learned a load of stuff about Canva that I didn't know some stuff that I wish I'd known ages ago um, so that was a great webinar so I'll put the link to the showcase page on Vimeo where you could look at the back catalogue I'll put that on the show notes this week and just have a little dig in there and see if there's anything that you, that you fancy that takes your fancy uh, Amelia D. Hay uh, sent me a tweet this week and said that she had followed out, uh, she checked her Amazon followers on BookEdge. If you remember, I checked my Amazon followers on BookEdge and it was 700 and something. And John Cronshaw dropped me a note and said he'd checked his and his were more than mine, about 50 more than mine. He was 700 and something. And Amelia says that she was shocked at the numbers. She said, uh, this made me laugh actually. She said, honestly, I thought there would be two, maybe three, mum, her friend and an aunt. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Amelia, you need to have more self-confidence about your writing career. But um, according to Amelia's stat, she's got 83 followers, which she says is small. Um, she's only got four books, but with four books, I'd say that was all right. And, and I'd also probably say uh, those followers, I don't know whether John would agree with me, but it, it probably reflects the amount of advertising you're doing, the followers you get, and the number of book bubs you've had. So I, that's what I would say has increased my followers. I don't think it's anything organic or anything special about me. I think it's simply volume of traffic over my pages. That's what I think it is. So um, so Amelia's got 83 uh, with four books and uh, Amelia writes in the kind of crime uh, genre as well. So it, again, this is really just about getting a sense of where different authors are. Uh, I don't think there's anything good, bad and indifferent with it. It's really just getting an idea of where we all are. And then you know roughly you know you kind of see where you are roughly in, in terms of the numbers I'd, I'd be very interested to know if somebody's got more than uh john and mine 700 and something you know to get an idea of what stage you need to be at with the number of books you've got and the kind of number of sales you're making so don't be shy let me know if you've got any of your uh follower numbers amazon follower numbers on book edge and just a, a quick mention to Bill Cocus for buying me several coffees this week, uh, Bill. I've been hyper this week with all the coffees. Thank you very much. Bill is a long-term listener and a, fr a friend of the show. He's a former interviewee. And Bill was one of the people who helped me with Now You See Her, um, was giving me kind of feedback about my American language and just making sure that I got everything right. So thanks very much for your long-term support, Bill, and also for sending me the book recommendations, which arrived in my inbox last night. That's all very much appreciated. Let's then move on to links to share this week and you'll find all the links that I mentioned on this week's show over at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Just look for the relevant episode number. You'll see it on the front page there and it'll save you hunting for any of these. So first of all then, how to get more BookBub featured deals, the 2023 guide. And this is a blog post by Nicholas Eric again. So you could hear I'm, I'm kind of coming back to the same people to learn from all the time. Now, Nicholas does a good job with, with BookBub featured deals. He, he's, I would say he's you know really all over BookBub. So definitely take a look at that. How to get more BookBub featured deals, the 2023 guide, well worth a read. Now, I have said to you that I'm looking at the University of East Anglia for my master's course, and I've been considering another couple of courses. Um, that are run by writing organisations. And the one that I'm very, very serious about, in fact, I'll let you know, 
I've sent in an application for it this week is the Jericho Writers Ultimate Ultimate Novel Writing Course. And this is kind of it's kind of sold as an MA course without the kind of academic stuff that's going to drive me spare. So I've had a look at this and I've applied for it and I would actually um, well, I, I think I might. this is the one I'm minded to do if I can get a place on it. It's a 12 month course. It's about £5,000 for the year. But why I'm particularly keen on it is the level of um, sort of tutor engagement and the level of feedback that I'm going to get. You know, I, I effectively, I just want to expose myself to as much critique as possible. I need to thicken my skin. And if I'm going to improve my my writing, I just, you know, I need to take as much feedback, critique and criticism as I can. But the point of this course is that obviously you get loads of craft support and teaching over the year. Um, you work with uh, a tutor that you select based on the sort of books that they've written and their sort of genres. And that you get um, regular check-in sessions with them and they go through your book. You get a, you get a one up to one hundred thousand word um, appraisal book appraisal built into that, and then at the end you get introduced to to sort of agents and publishing companies. So that's it's exactly where I want to be. So I sent in an application for this. Um, now I actually sent in an application for the April intake, and not and it, I've looked at this before in the past, and and they have two annual intakes. I actually put the application in for the April one because it was on a deadline. And what I've actually discovered since is that actually I'd rather be doing the September one. So again, like all these things, number one, hopefully they won't just say, no, thank you very much. Never darken our doors again. Your writing sample was terrible. Um, but if I do get any further, I will be looking to start in September. Now, I did look at my writing schedule this week to say, can I get these three trilogy books done and still get you know, hit all the targets I need to with this Jericho Writers course. Uh, and the answer is yes, I can. It's but it's much tighter than I would like it to be. So I, I would like to start in September if I get a place, if they're interested and if they do that. Reason I'm telling you this is I'll put the link on my show notes page to that ultimate novel writing course. Uh, they do uh, applications abroad. It's quite a costly course, but it might be something you're just interested to check out uh, because I'm doing it. And if I end up doing this course or any course I'll obviously let you know about it in this podcast there was an excellent sequence in um, the what's it called the new author podcast with Jerry Evanoff and Rich Casey this week and uh, I'm gonna obviously I always recommend the podcast anyway but I'm gonna give you the time from when this this sequence actually happens if you go 56 minutes in Rich had done a brilliant experiment with chat GPT where he'd he'd got a, uh, a sequence for a book he'd been writing and he asked ChatGPT to improve it, to improve sort of the, the, the language. And the improvement was amazing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with what was written in the first place, but you could really see how ChatGPT had enhanced that piece of writing. It's the, I think it's the best example I've heard of uh, authors, you know, using ChatGPT to make things better. Now, I'll put the link for the podcast, the whole podcast, on the show notes, and I'll put a little bracket next to it saying play it from 56 minutes if you want to hear that that sequence. Now, they went on to, it was very interesting because um, they went on to try a passage from one of Jerry's books uh, and asked ChatGPT to sort of improve the humour of it. Now, that didn't work at all, didn't work at all. 
um, I mean, you know, I wouldn't really expect an AI to have a sense of humour. I mean, that's that's kind of like AI in hundred years time. That's such a humour is such a complex thing. Even human beings don't get it right, for goodness sake. So that didn't work. But riches really did work. So you'll hear that from 56 minutes in, in that podcast. Another friend of the show and a former interviewee is Dan Sewell, who generally writes horror books. Um, Dan shared on Twitter this week his Independent Authors Manifesto, which is an interesting article just talking about what we kind of need to know and do as indie authors and uh, he wrote it a year or so ago I think and I shared it I'm pretty sure I shared it last time but in case you haven't caught it again I'll put that blog link onto the show notes this week the independent authors manifesto it's worth a read it just will um, sort of titillate the parts of the brain that are indie author and will just get you thinking about sort of the work and the fields that we need to focus on in our careers I'm also going to share a blog post from written word media uh, this is called five Amazon ad tips to improve your book sales. Well, you know, I'm in the zone for Amazon ads. So uh, again, it's just a useful quick read article that will just get you thinking about your Amazon ads and how you can improve the sales that you're making using Amazon ads. It doesn't go into any detail. And obviously it's free information if you don't want to have to pay for anything. Now, this next section is a little bit more detailed. You'll know that I've been talking to you about Google Analytics recently to say that uh, Google is going to remove Google Analytics 3, which is the one we all kind of know and love at the moment. They're going to replace it with GA4, Google Analytics 4. Now, I, I listened to a podcast by a company called TargetInternet.com. This is the company where I get all my, my geeky information from. And they have a podcast called The Digital Marketing podcast and this week the episode was called alternatives to google analytics and i'll share the link uh, to the, the show notes the resources page for that podcast episode and what they were doing is they were going through uh, different tools that you could use as an alternative to google analytics and i'll just mention them here it was adobe analytics fathom analytics piwik pro analytics suite Matomo Analytics or Rebe Analytics. No wonder I could never remember these names, is there? Uh, and, and then there, um, and then something called User Centrics. And and I had a look through those, and I looked at Piwik, which looks to be like my immediate favourite. So I went to Piwik Pro Analytics. Uh, it integrates with WordPress sites. I downloaded their WordPress. Um, what's it called plugin their plugin I installed it on all my sites uh, and created the, the the keys which connect with the software and obviously I, I set up a Puik account and um, and I ha I've had a look at it they've got a nice demo account in there and I would say that Puik is the closest thing to Google Analytics and bearing in mind most of us are not going to have huge websites I think you get about five hundred thousand half a million page impressions or something a, a month for free with Puik that looked to me to be the quickest simplest solution for most of us because we don't have super duper mega websites your considerations would be different if you had a super duper mega website that was doing zillions and zillions of sort of page hits a month but for those of us who've got smaller sites I thought Puik looked to be the best one now let me just qualify that in that I've only been doing this like five minutes here five minutes there I haven't actually applied myself to it so I just did it quickly I thought well, I'll set that up quickly and have a look at that and I'll tell people about it on the podcast there's something that I've done 
that means my analytics aren't coming through at the moment. So it's all set up beautifully, but I'm not getting any data, even though when I get the data, it's good to be in a nice understandable format. I can see that already from the demo. So I, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm just bringing you up to date with where I am with this. But it made me think that I'm almost going to drop Google Analytics. It's funny, I've always had Google Analytics on my sites, and I've had that really as a tailover, I think, from when I did internet marketing. But I don't get a huge amount of traffic on my sites. And I just thought, well, I, I really am, and, and I should stress, by the way, this is not advice. This I'm just sharing my thoughts of where I am on this. I'm, you know, I'm not really in any position to advise you on this. So, so please just take it with a pinch of salt. But I'm just telling you what I'm doing. My thought process on this is that um, it really doesn't massively matter to me where my traffic's coming from. I, I just really don't get enough traffic on my websites. I mainly sell um, through Facebook and, and Amazon, and hopefully one day, well, at BookBub, when I do featured deals, that's really where my traffic comes from these days. And, and organic traffic is not a huge importance to me. Now, if I was doing a Joanna Penn and I was selling direct, that would be important to me. But I don't want to sell direct because I don't like dealing with customers. I was listening to um, Joanne's, um, Joanna, I beg your pardon, Joanna Penn's um, comments about her Kickstarter and all the problems that she's had with customer service. Right? I, I hate customer service. I have no interest whatsoever in getting involved in customer service. So even if it's shooting me in the foot, I will not be selling direct. You know, The moment I get a, an email from somebody saying, I bought your book and I can't get it on my Kindle. I will go spare. Okay, so I can't. I can't be dealing with stuff like that. It's not my skill set. So I'm not going to sell direct. That is a. And I know it's. You know, I get all the principles of it. I agree with all the principles of it. Uh, but I. I would have to be making enough money from my business to employ somebody to deal with all those hassles because I'm not dealing with them. Um, you know, I'm not dealing with customers. I, I, I'll do the nice side of dealing with customers. I want nothing to do with the hassle side of it. So um, I would have to be selling a lot more books to pay somebody to deal with the hassle side of it. And this is born out of experience from internet marketing. You've heard me talk about doing um, support desk work on internet marketing before. It's it's when you're doing scale, stuff at scale, it's a nightmare. It, it just never stops. And um, and I don't want to do it again. I did it, you know, I did it and I don't want to do it again. So. Um, so with that said, then, I don't get an awful lot of traffic. It doesn't massively matter where it comes from, because so long as I can work out what my where my traffic's coming from in my in my ads, which I could now do with attribution links, that's really what's most important to me. The other thing is, is that I haven't got the time, the inclination or the patience to learn GA4. It's it's the 80-20 rule. You know, you, you're gonna spend an awful lot of time doing something that, which frankly, in my opinion, in my business, is not really gonna tell me anything particularly useful at the moment. So I'm not going to even do GA4. I'm gonna try and get um, Pewick working just because, uh, because I kind of like geeky stuff, I'd like to find an alternative. And because I sometimes do work with smaller businesses, corporate work locally, it's handy if I can have an alternative and say, you know, don't don't bother with that if you're a small business, just just do this and it's for free and it, it'll take you five minutes to set up. I'm gonna look at Pewick really for that. But what I, I do want to tell you, and, and interestingly, I got an email from Fast Hosts today. You'll know that my websites currently, my WordPress websites are all hosted through Fast Hosts. You actually have in your web hosting, you will already have web stats. 
um, and these are what we call server level web stats. Now, if you have a C panel, a control panel, so if you're on SiteGround or um, HostGator, something like that, if you look at your control panel, C panel, you will see that you already have stats there. And they will actually probably give you much more detail than Google stats uh, will. So you've already got stats. It'll tell you who's looking at pages at server level. Um, and, and you could already burrow into that and that will be free. And I, interestingly, I get a weekly email about my website stats from fast hosts now. And I, I dug a little deeper today. And in actual fact, I've got that kind of Google Analytics level stats um, on, my, on my fast hosts. So most of the time, uh, just to get rudimentary information about your website, you don't need something as complicated as Google Analytics, not at the, the small level that we that we work at, where the website is almost a nice to have, and we're doing most of our sales on Facebook and, and Amazon and, and, and other sites. So as I say, that is not expert advice. That's just where I am. That's just literally where I am at the moment. So um, if you get the free PIWIC, uh, it's called the core plan. If you, if you get if you get PIWIC, P-I-W-I-K, I'll put the links on the on the show notes. You get 500,000 monthly actions. They retain your data for 14 months. It's a safe EU cloud, which is um, for privacy uh, details. You get community support and you get access to analytics, tag manager and consent manager. I mean, we don't need more than that as small businesses. So everything you need is in that free core plan. Now, having told you all that, I need to get mine working and actually recording the results. So as soon as I crack that, I haven't really had much time to do it, to be honest with you. As soon as I crack that, I'll I'll, I'll let you know about it. But in, in my opinion, just looking at this, it's not an expert opinion. Um, that's what I'm going for with Google Analytics. And so it's offered to you, um, you know, just as, on a take it or leave it basis. And I would recommend that you listen to experts on the target internet podcast they are experts in this they do this at scale and just hear what they have to say about this because they'll also give you some positives about ga4 google analytics 4 as well let's get away from geeky stuff fast and move on to the personal news we booked another fraud break for november we're going to malta in november it, it started out as a quick trip to benidorm to do a 10k run <laughs> i said to my wife um, we decided that we weren't going to go away. We'd just been having a chat about things. and We're not going to go away for another six-month block over, over winter. We had been considering it, and we could have potentially done it this year. But uh, I have just found that I found the travel actually quite disruptive to my to my personal life. And I just decided I don't want to do six months at the moment. I've, I've got a head of steam on with my writing and you know my running and everything like that. I, I just don't want to disrupt it for that long again. And so when we sort of decided that and said, well, okay, maybe we'll just go for a month before Christmas or you'll go somewhere before Christmas, somewhere after Christmas, just to get away from the, the bleak greyness of the UK weather um, for all that time. And I said, well, I might go off to Benidorm then to do that 10K run they've got going in November. And then I said to my wife, do you want to come? And I, I kind of booked the thing and it ended up costing quite a lot. And I said, you know, I didn't really want it to cost that much. I just wanted to nip across for a 10K run on cheap flights and cheap accommodation. I didn't want it to cost that much. We ended up spending a holiday's worth of money on on just what was effectively a quick nip over to Benidorm for 10K. So I did some quick reshuffling and backward pedaling. And just worked out that for the same amount of money, we could go to Malta for a week and book an apartment there. So that's that's what we've done. I've, I kind of transferred the flight 
jiggery-pokery here, there and everywhere, and we're going to Malta for a week in, in November. So that guarantees I'm going to get some, some winter sunshine, and we'll, we'll work out the rest um, a little bit later on, you know, whether we go for a month in February or something like that. So that's another holiday booked for November. The other thing we were doing, actually, is we've been watching a series on... I don't know whether it's HBO, I'm not quite sure what channel it is we're watching on, um, but it's set in on the Isle of Bute in Scotland. Now, we, we go up to Glasgow a lot and we like Scotland a lot, but I know nothing about Bute. And my wife's been watching it and saying, uh, and, and like you tend to do when you see nice things on the telly, my wife usually gets the computer out and says, oh, did you know this? Did you know that? And starts doing a bit of research about it. Well, long story short, we've we've worked out that we could go up to Glasgow or just near Glasgow we could do a couple of family visits around Ayrshire that and family and friend visits go up to I forgot what it's called now Weems is it Weems I think it is it's spelt funny it's W-E-Y-M-S-S -S, I think it's Weems I think it is we can catch a ferry from there to Butte and we could do a park run on the way so um, it has all the makings of a Teague adventure. So I said to my wife uh, she's got the weekend off for a birthday it falls on a Friday this year so we're penciling that in for a birthday trip in August. Now we don't go abroad from about July to September. I just I just avoid summer altogether. So we tend to do things in this country during the summer. So uh, that's another potential trip that we're going to do. So it involves a ferry and some family and friend visits and an island, a Scottish island that we've not been to before. And it'll involve a, maybe a bit of Glasgow. So it's just an adventure. So that's uh, for August. That's penciled in for August now. As far as healthy updates are concerned, or healthy author updates are concerned, I did the Carlisle Park Run on Saturday. I was back at the Nature Reserve on Sunday. Um, I did one stretching exercise this week on Monday. On Wednesday lunchtime, I should tell you this actually, this should have been in my personal section. On Wednesday lunchtime, I was determined, I'm determined to celebrate writing achievements. And because I'd finished my, my book two, on Wednesday I'd arranged to go for lunch re meet my wife in town after work and we went for lunch but I ended up bringing three of the kids as well so so, so we there, there were five of us we went to we just went to Weatherspoons and had a lunch on Wednesday which was lovely and then we went with the um, two I say two of the kids one of the kids isn't mine but we went there looking at buying a house so we went we went for a lunch and went to view a house as well uh, a big a big tour of us viewing a house that they're hoping to buy as well this was on uh, Wednesday so um, that's a long way around of telling you why I miss, missed my stretching exercises on on Wednesday and I'm not sure whether I'm going to get them in today because I'm a bit pressed for time today so the stretching exercises might get ditched today we'll have to see but I was I did do the treadmill runs on Monday and Wednesday I'll be back at park run tomorrow I'm volunteering and running tomorrow and I'm back at the nature reserve on Sunday so the 5k's have all got in it's just the the stretching exercise stuff that may get missed or bumped to another day this week we'll just have to see I just I know I'm really pressed for time today to get everything done if you want to follow my healthy author updates and occasional photos you could do that by navigating to paulteague.net forward slash run okay that's it for this week's show thank you very much for listening I hope you have a great week of writing from me Paul Teague it's bye bye for now This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, the professional business membership organisation for self-published authors. 
I found that I usually cover the cost of membership by using the special codes given out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership is easily paid for. However, Ally is much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors of all levels, and the amazing online conferences which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best essential professional membership service for all indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I. I can't believe it's been 11 days already since I sat down here to talk to you about writing this book. But here we are. It is Monday the 20th of February. It's 8.32. My wife has gone to work. I'm not uh, scheduled to start working until 8.45. I've just given myself a little bit more coming round time. Quite sadly, I've got a mug of tea in a Benidorm mug today, (laughs) just as a little memento of my recent break. And I'm now wishing that I'd finished this book before I went to Benidorm rather than after, because I feel like a car that hasn't been started for several weeks. It needs a few turnovers of the engine to get it going. Not particularly looking forward to doing this today, but then I always say that to you on Monday mornings. If there's if there's anything that's interesting for me, in terms of patterns in these diaries that I've been doing, it's that every Monday morning I say to you, "This is the last thing on earth I feel like," and then I get warmed up and off we go. If we listen to that voice that said that you don't feel like doing this, you'd never get any writing done. So you have to just push through it, and it's like a muscle memory. As soon as I get my head down, start the clock, and get writing. I'll be underway, but there's all this resistance constantly to stop us sitting down and doing the actual work. Let me bring you up to date. I mean, I'm aware that when you're listening to these diaries, it was just a couple of seconds ago that you were listening to the previous diary. But for me, a time of, uh, you know, 11 days has elapsed. So I, I've I've done a few little bits and pieces in the interim. I was aware that I'd messed a couple of names up and ranks. So I've I've gone back to my existing book, Her Last Cry, and I've just done some name harmonisation and some rank changes. Now, some of those are also based on things that Claire Cronshaw told me in the edit for book one, things that I realised that I'd been inconsistent with. So I've gone and put those right in this first draft text. I did that yesterday. I've also added in some plot details. What what I realised, uh, this I did this, I realised this before I went to Benidorm and I made some notes in my uh, sort of you know things to do list to do them when I came back because they were a little bit fiddly to find. I needed to do some seeding. I basically, uh, one of the bad guys has to find my detective's address, and I had to backwards seed, if you want, a way of that happening. So there were two points at which there was an opportunity to do this. One where the the protagonist um, goes to a friend's house. She's she's been soaked because she's almost fallen into a river. And she takes her clothes off to dry and gets changed into some of her friend's new clothes. And... This is when the envelope that she's picked up in front of her her door in her flat is put on on a radiator. I also had to see the bit where she actually picked up the envelope and just shoved it in her pocket for later. Because I needed a way, I realised I needed a way of my bad guy being able to work out where she lived. And so that's all seeded and done now. So I I had to do that and, and get that all sorted out as well. And I just made a load of notes before I went to Benidorm and just sorted them out yesterday. So I'm all ready to start writing. Now, obviously, I had to look back at what I'd done just to get my head back into the zone for this morning. 
And what I have realised is that one of the the seeds is a little bit is a, is going to be a little bit short. So the chapter I'm about to write, which is chapter thirty eight, is is fine. But I realised that when I looked at what I jotted down for chapters thirty eight and thirty nine. Uh, beg your pardon, chapters 38 and 40, that I hadn't actually quite got enough there. That was really a chapter's worth and not two chapters worth. So I, I've, I'm inserting a scene into chapter into chapter 40 today. So a little bit of last minute sh- shenanigans, a little bit of last minute moving the chairs around and you know rearranging them. Um, what I have got this week is, is I've only got six chapters to do, which normally I would write over two days. Now, if I struggle a little bit today because of this having to insert this new chapter and realising I was going to be a little bit short, you know, in, in terms of plot points, it, it's just when I looked at it, I thought, no, that's a chapter, not two chapters worth. I can't, I don't want to string it out at this stage in the book. And I, you know, I'm not just, I'm not going to string it out. Um, so that might put me under a little bit of pressure. I might write a bit slower today. You'll find out shortly when I've done my writing. If I do find myself under time pressure, if I need to actually spend more time on getting these chapters right, you know, rather than turning them around in an hour, because they're so important at the end of the book, I will do that. Because I've got the luxury this week, if I want to, of doing two chapters on Monday, two chapters on Tuesday, two chapters on Wednesday. I hit all my targets, do everything I need to do, be where I need to be, you know, at the time I need to be in the place. So it really doesn't make any difference if I write this over two days or three days. And if I do just struggle with this additional chapter and I do need to just give it a bit more thought I will cut myself the slack this week because I've been away for 11 days and I am getting up to speed so what I'm saying to you is that what what you might find is that rather than me writing in three hour blocks today I've written in two one and a half hour blocks and I'll do that over the the rest of of the week you know over Monday Tuesday and Wednesday so um, a little bit uh, nervous about writing today because I'm not quite sure which way we're going there's gonna be a little bit of pantsing going on today as well obviously though I'm, I'm keeping to the main plot all the time I've got to deliver everybody to certain places, uh, which I'll have no problem doing. It's really just a matter of can I, uh, you know, keep this tension and action going over the chapters that I've got remaining. So that's my challenge for today. I'm going to to take a few more slurps of tea, then I'm going to get that timer on and see what we can do in the next hour. Well, I wasn't expecting that. I've just written 1,735 words. It was about two minutes over my hour-long timer, so not quite within the hour, but that doesn't really matter because I've well written over the words. I was supposed to have written 1,588 words in that chapter because I've carved down the word counts now. I've done 65,471 words. I've got 9,529 to write over six chapters. That makes 1,588 words per chapter, so I've gone way over it already, which is not a very good start to the day. But surprisingly... Bearing in mind how concerned I was about that chapter and not having enough content to write a chapter, I did have enough content to write a chapter. So actually, I don't need to come up with another idea. It it was absolutely fine as it was. Now, all that happened in that chapter, and this shows that it's all in the writing, doesn't it? That all that happened is that the protagonist walked from one end of a park to the other to investigate a white van in which he felt that her abducted son might be. And then there were some shenanigans with the van starting and her trying to get and it drove off. Now, obviously, there was much more to it than that. But in action terms, if I just written down literally what happened in that chapter, that's all that happened in that chapter. Yet I've managed to, with dialogue and with description and with building tension, uh, manage to make that 1,735 words. So 
when I started this morning, clearly I had no confidence about my ability to do that, and I have just done it, and it means that I'll be on track with the chapters. So I might get the three chapters done today. In fact, I certainly aim to get the three chapters done today. It has all the bits that I needed. It's got tension. You know, it built, it builds it up nicely. It's got deception. I dropped a little nugget in there that's going to hint at what's going to happen at the end of the book. There's, you know, it, it works absolutely fine as a chapter, in spite of all that concern I had before I started writing. So I need to start my day with more confidence, obviously. But again, I think the value of doing these diaries, something I've learned from doing these diaries, is that I'm always, uh, I've always got a fairly grim attitude about my ability to write on a Monday morning. By the time we get to midday on a Wednesday, I'm obviously feeling a lot more buoyed up by that. I need to capture how I feel at the end of a Wednesday when I've written nine chapters and try and bottle that and unleash it every Monday morning at 8.30 when I sit down to write. Okay, well, predictably, I'm a little bit peckish, so I'm going to find a banana if there are any left, have half a banana, maybe make another cup of tea, and get back to the next chapter in about ten minutes. I can't believe it, you know, in that fruit bowl last night, there were three bananas. I just went out there now to get to try and save two for Monday and Tuesday's writing sessions, and there was only one left. So I've had half a banana and hidden <laughs> the other half in the fridge for when I've written this next section. You have to be fast in this family to get to the fruit bowl. Anyhow, uh, I haven't made a cup of tea. I've decided to skip a tea this time. I'll make a tea next time. I've got a glass of water instead, and I'm not waiting 10 minutes. I just want to get straight on with it, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to write out a sequence again. So I'm going to r just continue the action from the chapter I've just written. Then I'll go back to chapter 39, which is a 1970s chapter. So I think it's the last 1970s. A 1970s chapter now let me just have a quick look ahead 3942 yeah that is now the last that'll be the last 1970s chapter because if you remember I said that I was using Craig Martell's technique in this book and I've written the last 1970s chapter already that is chapter 42 so chapter 39 is the last of the 1970s chapters and then that that's it that's how close I am to the end of the book now so I'm going to do present day next and then before I finish today I'll do the 1970s and uh, we really feel like we're closing doors now on this book we're almost there I can see the end so head down let's do another hour and then uh, I'll let you know how it went and that's the second chapter done 1,718 words. Remember what I said at the beginning of the day about not knowing whether I'd have enough to write these chapters. It's been absolutely fine. There's loads of action, loads of tension. Uh, it, you know, it's just kind of come really from just a few sketchy bits. That's the alarm just going off. Hang on, let me finish that. So I wrote that within the hour. Yeah, that was fine. So I've overwritten my words uh, by too much, which is fine because I'll keep the 1970s chapter that I'm about to write next. I'll keep that pretty brief. But um, no, absolutely no problems with those chapters. Uh, I kind of got to the end point that I needed to. It's just when I looked at it at the beginning of the day and yesterday when I was reviewing my notes, it just didn't feel like there was enough to go on. But actually, you know, when I when I kind of played through what would happen next, it was fine. Uh, absolutely fine. So that's great. I'm exactly where I need to be in the present day. I've just got how many present day chapters left to do now? One Ooh, two, three present day chapters left to do now. Those those will be fine. I don't think I'll have the same problems or concerns with those last chapters. So few. That's good. That's great. It's eleven o'clock. I'm going to take a break. Have another cup of tea. Um, somebody's been trying to chase me on the phone about something or other. So I'll see what that is. 
and then I should get back to everything by 11.15 for today's final writing session. It's worth me just talking about phones and how I deal with phones while I'm writing because uh, I did I did say at the last of that last section that I, I somebody's been trying to reach me on the phone. Um, my phone doesn't ring, so it's. I don't have a house phone anymore. This is one of the things we did with Spain because the only time the house phone rang, it was somebody wasting my time trying to sell me something. You know, just waste my time. So I got fed up with a house phone, and we don't have a house phone anymore. That was one of the changes we made when we went to Spain. I have, however kept my home number and I use a service called invoco.net which means I never miss uh, a call but it goes I can divert it directly to my mobile phone if I want to or um, it by default goes to a message and it will message me straight away if somebody leaves a message for me so so basically no one can accept my wife and my family or somebody who is identified on my phone i.e. a known number which comes up as a name rather than just a general number i won't i won't answer the phone to anybody unless it's by appointment or it's a recognized phone number which generally means you know friend family uh, or, or or wife you know or children so and they don't really phone me anyway they know to mess they know better than to phone me they, you know uh, they know to message me because I don't generally like using the phone so that means that any phone call I get uh, it doesn't ring through it doesn't disturb me the volume's off so I never you know I never pick up a phone to somebody that I don't know um, and so therefore what's happened with those two phone calls is in my own time i.e. while I've just been sitting at my desk taking a short break I just ran them through Google is it a business is it a recognized phone number usually it comes up as unknown haven't got a clue don't know what it is and I just block them straight away I'm absolutely merciless with the phone they haven't left a message either so I have a voicemail on so again if they'd left a message I would check the message if it was something that was purposeful that wasn't wasting my time then I've left a message Um, if it was important they would notice to email me because I always tell people to email me that's how you get the fastest response from me email me don't call me uh, I don't like the phone so I'm abs- I am really merciless with the phone however if it was a member of my family uh, or if you'd made an appointment with me you'd get answered straight away and to me that's just the courtesy of the phone but you see a lot so many people are driven by the phone the phone is there to service we're not there to be a phone slave. This is what I really feel about. When I think, you know, in the old days when the phone went in the house, this is in the 70s and 80s, we'd all rush to see who it was. You know, phones have changed and they've become an absolute absolute nuisance and an intrusion as far as I'm concerned. And the last time I answered the phone, you know, to somebody that I wanted to answer it to, just for somebody who just wasn't wasting my time, uh, I can't remember that. You know, because most people know, make an appointment with me, tell me you're going to call me. And I'll be there and I'll answer it. And anybody, actually anybody who's on my kind of list of phones that get answered. So for corporate work, for instance, um, I used to sort of say about how I manage my phones when I did corporate work. And there was a, the lady there would often be sitting in other courses and I'd be there saying to her, you know, do you ever have a problem getting to me on the phone? You, you know, um, or getting a response from me. And she said, no, I never, I get you know, really fast to respond. So it's not that I ignore this stuff. It's just that if you're wasting my time, you ain't going to get a response from me. Uh, and this is how I manage my time. This is why I'm telling you this. It's really important to manage your time. So if, if I get a phone call um, and it's wasting my time, it just gets blocked. You know, if you don't leave a message, you'll get blocked. And you should email me, basically, if you want to get my attention. Because when you email me, I can deal with it in a time scale that suits me. 
and seeing, you know, you imagine if I'd answered those calls while I'd been writing, that would have disturbed me and stopped me from doing my writing today. So I am absolutely merciless with the phone. But what I can tell you is, is that people who I want to call me, you know, who, who, uh, who people who I will answer to would always get a fast uh, response. They will always get an immediate response if it's something important. But, you know, because of that, I, I talked to my mum on Skype, we arranged where we're going to chat, so I know that when I get a family call, it's something that I need to be answering. Otherwise, we're all kind of chit-chatting on Discord and things like that all the time. So I thought it was worth mentioning that, just to let you know that I'd only seen those phone calls when I finished in a break when I checked my phone. They hadn't left a message. The phone calls uh, didn't go back to any business or anything like that. Um, and there was no uh, sort of email follow-up, so they get an instant block. Don't bother me again. <laughs> You're probably just wasting my time with nonsense. And, and, and again, you know, this is how I get the writing done, because I don't let things like that um, disturb me or intrude on my time. Okay, enough said about that. Uh, I just thought I'd mention that, seeing as I just mentioned I'd got phone calls, but I hadn't really told you how I deal with them. Uh, I have got now... Uh, 1,311 words to write because I've overwritten today. I'm at the end of the book now. I can't let this drift at all. It doesn't matter because the last 70s chapter could be fairly tight, fairly concise. Um, you know, so I, I won't have a problem, I don't think, getting to 1,311 words. I'll be really disciplined about that. And then that's today's writing done. I thought I might only get two chapters done. It's going to be three chapters done and I'm going to deliver it on time by 12.15. So that's a pretty good start to the week, I'd say. And that's me finished for the day. I just wrote 1,409 words in that chapter, which means I've written 4,862 words today. And I've got 4,667 words left for the book, which gives me 1,555 words per chapter tomorrow. And that's absolutely fine. So you'll have observed, you'll have observed all the way through this book, I've been mindful of the words. And what I said to you is I like the chapters to be roughly the same length. Well, when you're reading, you're not really going to notice the difference between 1,555 words and 1,667 words, which I think is the, the scope across the whole book. So it doesn't have to be precise. We're just roughly after the same reading experience, a consistent reading experience throughout the book. And I've managed to achieve that. Now, obviously, tomorrow, I've absolutely got to keep to that word count because I'm out of words now. But if I had to, I, you know, I, I'm, I've got to edit this book. I could lose words, add words. There'll be a little bit of shuffling around through the edits anyway. And in actual fact, when I got the edit back from Claire Croncher, I noticed that the total word count from the edited book is 74,500 words. That's the, the sort of final edited book. That's the word count there. So it, it, it all shuffles around. Really, I'm just trying to keep it in a ballpark. So, it, it, you know, I don't want to surprise Claire with another 1,000 or 2,000 words. Um, out of a courtesy, I just want to keep it within a certain range of being either more words than were anticipated or, or fewer words than were anticipated. So we're fine. We're going to arrive there on time. Now, uh, that was the last chapter from the 1970s timeline. That is now done and written and finished in first draft form. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to do three chapters to, to finish the book off. So these are all action chapters now. It's all action-packed stuff. Um, so again, you know, to keep the chapters slightly shorter is fine at the end when we're rushing towards those those final scenes. And remember, the final scenes are already written. I've just got to actually get the characters there in the right place at the right time. So you heard my pessimism at the beginning of today. I really didn't feel like it. And I thought I was going to write two chapters today and I thought it was going to take me 
an hour and a half to write each of those chapters. As it turned out, it was just another routine writing day. The words have got done, and tomorrow we put this book to bed. So that's it now. It's time for a bit of lunch, then a bit of stretching exercises, and then I got the afternoon free now. It's the last day of writing book two in my latest trilogy. I've got three chapters to write today, 4,667 maximum words remaining. That is about 1,555 words per chapter. And things are a little bit different today for a Tuesday. Normally on a Tuesday, my wife wouldn't go into work until midday. It's a little bit of a different day for her today, so she's got in early in the morning. I'm recording this at five minutes to nine o'clock. So I want to write this first hour between nine and ten o'clock. And the reason for that is, is that I need to set a webinar recording. There's a Society of Authors webinar that I want to watch. I'm not going to be able to watch it live. I'm not sure whether they're going to send out a replay. So I've got my laptop to my side, all ready to record it. And I'll need to set that off recording at, uh, at ten o'clock. So I've timed everything specially so I can catch that webinar today. I'll record it right while it's playing you know while it's actually taking place live I'll write another chapter and then when I finish that chapter I'll stop it and make sure I've got the recording safe and then I'll watch it later on this afternoon when I can concentrate on it so I'm just jiggling the times around a little bit today my plan then is to write from 9 till 10 from 10 15 to 11 15 and then from 11 30 to 12 30 that's roughly what I'm planning to do today and that will have the book finished last night I had a look at the chapters that I'm writing today just to flesh them out, just to make sure that everything is good for these last chapters. I know exactly where I'm going. I've made a few last minute changes. Again, when I planned the book, I hadn't quite got the pacing of the chapters right. So I've inserted uh, some extra details. It all works fine. I'm going to drop another a bombshell. Well, I think I'm going to drop another bombshell in the book. I'm not quite sure whether to, to, to drop it at the beginning of the next book or at the end of this book. It's quite a nice one to drop. So I, I, I'll see whether I need it and whether I'm going to place it or not. But really today is just a case of head down, let's get this book finished and that will be draft two out of the way and I'll be ready to move on to planning book three. Okay, so I'll be starting in five minutes time, I'll let you know how it goes in an hour. That's the first 1,602 words written and it is six minutes to ten, so beautifully timed to get this webinar started and checked and underway before I write the second chapter. I forgot to tell you earlier that I'm having some kind of browser problem at the moment. It's very annoying. I don't know what it is, but it's caused by... Well, it's it's on all the browsers. I use Brave. I've got backup options, which is the Microsoft... Is it Edge? I always forget what it's called these days. Microsoft Edge and Chrome. They're all doing it. Basically, for some reason, the, the strip which allows you to type in web addresses has disappeared from the top of the page. I don't ask you what on earth is causing that, but I know what will sort it. That's a restart. Now, I didn't want to restart my computer before I started writing, because I wanted to hit that uh, start time okay. So I'm going to restart the computer now, and hopefully it will solve that uh, annoying problem. But what it meant was that I couldn't open the timer up that I usually use. So I used the backup timer on my phone, and I got that writing done about two minutes under the hour. Though you won't hear the peeps today because I've just stopped it, so it doesn't interrupt this recording. It's all very complicated, isn't it? But anyhow, that explains what's going on. Chapter wrote itself, a uh, uh, very straightforward chapter. As I said to you yesterday, you know, we're in the final the final 
sort of moments now and I've already written the big ending which takes a lot of pressure off me to be honest with you I just have to deliver everybody washed and scrubbed at the point at which that last chapter uh, begins and that's fairly straightforward so what I'm going to do now is make a cup of tea get this webinar underway and make sure it's recording properly then I'll come back for the second chapter of today I just had a little technical matter to deal with there the webinar is, is on and it's recording and I couldn't work out why I couldn't put the volume down. And then I discovered that the reason for that was is that I'd got my <laughs> I've got my mains charge lead stuck into the socket where the uh, where the um, headphone should go. For some reason, I, I can't use the controls to reduce the volume on the actual laptop. So I thought, right, I'll stick the headphones at the side and that will mean that will mute the sound. But I'd. Um, couldn't find out where the headphones went. I'm sure. I thought I'm sure there's a socket for headphones on this laptop. But as I say, it turned out my mains lead was plugged into the was it plugged into the headphone socket. So having worked that out, I've now got the webinar playing to my side here um, with the sound muted, and it's just recording that. And I'll as I say, I'll listen to that a little bit later on. It's quite a fitting day to be doing the last chapters of this book, actually, because. My Amazon accounts payable notifications are coming in for this month. What is it? The 21st of February. So Amazon are sending me all the emails from the different territories telling me I'm getting paid, which is always very nice and exciting. So that's a, a quite a fitting day to finish a book. So I've got two chapters left now. I've had a little bite of cheese because my stomach was rumbling and I don't want to snack. I've got uh, the two chapters ready to go I've got my I restarted my computer during that break also so I'm on my regular timer I'm just about to take a couple of slurps of tea I'll get the timer set off and see if we can get this next chapter written within the hour that chapter is now written uh, I've got seven minutes left on the clock and I actually wrote this chapter short it's 1405 words simply because that's all it needs uh, you know I've got words to play with plus or minus I'm quite happy with the word counts at the moment. I might be adding some words or taking some words when I do the edit on this book. So, so long as I arrive at about 75,000 words in that ballpark, plus or minus, say, 250, I'm quite happy with that. But I, I wanted to drop some information into this chapter. I did decide to drop the, the sort of cliffhanger information in this chapter. It works really well. Uh, but I don't I don't need to flesh it out in any way. The chapter is fine as it is. Um, you know, I'm not going to push it. I don't need to push for another 100 words, 150 words there, whatever it is I need to make it up to the word count. So that is it. I am now on the final chapter of this book. One more chapter to write and the first draft is done. That's tantalisingly exciting. I've got the webinar still going on to my side. Unfortunately, because it's a fairly cronky laptop, it ran out of recording space. But I have since found out that um, they'll make the replay available. And I'm going to mention it to you on this week's podcast diary. So that's all fine. Yeah, I'm going to take a little break now. A uh, bit more cheese. I think I might go for another cup of tea, actually, as it's a special occasion. And then let's brace ourselves for that final chapter. Draft one will be finished within the next hour and a quarter. I feel like we need a serenade at the beginning of this final chapter recording, this final diary entry. Here is the last chapter. It's not the last chapter of the book, because, of course, I've already written the ending. That was the first thing that I did before I started doing this. I really like that technique, by the way. It works very well for me. It takes a lot of pressure off at the end, actually, as well, knowing that the end is already written. Might need to make a few adjustments when I come to edit the end, just because I didn't know everything that had happened beforehand if you know what I mean when I wrote it so it'll only need some minor tweaks so it's pretty well there 
I gave it a scan last night. So th- this is the last chapter that I'm writing, and it literally just needs to deliver everybody where they are at the end of the book. So that's easy enough to do. Whew, wow, it always amazes me when we're on the last chapter and you think, I really don't know how that happened. And that's why I wanted to record this diary, because as you've heard, it happens step by step by step, hour by hour by hour, day by day by day. That's how you get a book written. You just keep turning up and doing the writing. But it always amazes me that I've actually managed to do that. So this is chapter 44, although the final chapter of the book is chapter 45. I'm just about to write it now. I've celebrated by getting an extra cup of tea (laughs) to to fuel this. Um, Might as well get on with it now and get this book finished. So off we go. And we're done. Book two, Her Last Cry, draft one is completed. Wow. (laughs) I always get a real sense of um, sort of achievement and accomplishment at this stage. Doesn't last very long, unfortunately, which is why... I shall be celebrating and marking the end of this book tomorrow because I'll be thinking about the next book, you know, straight away almost. So uh, you need to take time and celebrate these moments, I think. But um, I've just compiled the book in Scrivener so that I can take a look at the word count. And although I've been tossing the words up as we go along, and there's always some discrepancy in the word count, I can tell you that the final word count according to word is 74,885. So... What am I short? 115 words short. That that doesn't matter. That's a completely within a, a margin of error to submit to an editor. And I can already tell you that I could, I, I've already got in mind a little paragraph I just want to insert into the author notes just to explain a geographical location that I've used in the book. So I, I, know, I know straight away that I can just bump up those words to 75,000. And clearly, I'm going to be editing this book. I'll be adding some here, taking some there, and always mindful of that 75,000 word word target. But the key principle here is that I haven't written you know, hugely over 75,000 words or hugely under 75,000 words. When I delivered this book to Claire Cronshaw on April the 11th or whenever it is, she's going to be getting what she expected. And so therefore, in terms of the time she allocates for the edit, it's good to be what she needs. It's not going to take her over the time allocated or right under the time allocated. But it doesn't really matter, I would say. Plus or minus 500 words, I think is fine to send to an editor. So it is done. Draft one is done. That is just going to sit there now for a couple of days because what I'm going to do next as my priority is I'm now going to read through the edited version of book one. Then I'm going to plan book three. And then I will come back to this with book one fresh in my mind and the events of what's happening in book three fresh in my mind. I'll come through and edit this book and then I can make any course corrections or plot adjustments as I go along. So that's it. Book two is done. Now on to now on to all the other stuff that needs to get done before we get these books published.